0: Good morning. Uh, read with me, please. Psalm 125. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good, and to those who are upright in their hearts. But those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. Peace be upon Israel. Please pray with me. Lord, help us to trust you in every aspect in our lives. Um, help that to bring upon contentment. Um, you are so good and so faithful. Uh, We love you, and we um, just thank you for speaking through Grant. Please bless him. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Amen. Have a seat.
0: And kids,
1: it is time to go get a mission story, so thank you for singing with us. It is always good to see you. Those jerseys are crazy cute. It is fun to have a church where there's kids running around, isn't it? Well, are you open to Psalm 125? As we dig into Psalm 125, I wonder if I could just get us started with a a question to think about. What if our faith, what if Christian maturity was never intended to make easy lives but tough people? What if the point of following Jesus was never that our lives would be more comfortable or easier, that that all of the language about blessing and all of the language about, you know, God's ability to care for us was not intended for us to be ever increasingly more comfortable, but rather it's intended for us to be ever increasingly more content in the world where we are. What if the goal should not be that We would follow Jesus and have less problems, but rather that we would follow Jesus and have a tougher heart. And I don't mean a hard heart. No, I mean a heart that can endure the ups and downs of life, that isn't rattled by every disaster, personal, national, or international, but rather a faith that sustains us. What if the process of learning to be Jesus' disciple is not learning a comfortable life, but rather a courageous heart? And I almost think that is so self-evident. If you look at the kind of life that Jesus lived, it is hard to think that we would be his disciples and, first of all, live the most comfortable human existence because he lived a very uncomfortable life it's also hard to believe that we could follow him and still not have a content heart because he so was filled in his relationship with his father and encouraged that in his disciples. What if learning to walk in step with the Holy Spirit is intended to produce joy and peace, not by eliminating problems, but rather by building strong lives on a strong foundation that can experience peace and joy in the middle of trials? sure makes a lot of sense with so many New Testament passages. You think of James 1, famously. Consider it pure joy when you experience trials of many kinds because those trials are going to lead to steadfastness. And in your steadfastness, you will end up mature, perfect, not lacking anything. What if the point was never... The elimination of trials, but rather fully mature people. You think of Galatians 2 as Paul just at the maybe the end of his life goes, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That old thing is gone, and now I just live for the glory of God. Like there's, a, there's such a new mission that bring it on. What do you got for me? You got imprisonment? You got torture? Been there, done that. Christ lives in me. I don't know that there was a lot of joy in being Paul circumstantially. Paul's joy came from the fact that he no longer lived, but Christ lived in him. Romans 5, 3 through 5 has a similar theme. It says, not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering. Are you good at that? Well, why not? Come on. Me neither. Naturally, none of us are. That's why they're called sufferings. (laughs) We rejoice in our suffering knowing that suffering produces endurance. Isn't that true? That suffering produces endurance. It can be true. It either produces quitting or endurance. Suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character. So it's the sufferings in life that produce the character, the integrity, the the Christ-like character in us where, where we are naturally Making, making decisions that honor the Lord. Endurance produces character in us. And character produces, you know what word comes next? Hope. Hope. Not ease. But hope. And then verse 5 says, and hope does not put us to shame. Because putting your hope in something that doesn't work puts you to shame right? Like if you say, oh, I've got an idea for a platypus farm. I really should write down ideas that just off the top of my head is not that great. But you go, Grant, that doesn't sound like a good idea. No, no, no. I'm putting all my hope in the platypus farm on at 1030 uh, Hilby. And you go, turns out that, was, that, that hope puts you to shame. You put your hope in something that was dumb from the beginning. It never had the ability to sustain you. And you know, it's not platypus farms, but it is our bank accounts or our reputations or our abilities that we put our hope in these things. But they'll put you to shame. If your hope is not in the Lord, well, it's not going to work. So suffering produces character, endurance that produces character, that produces hope, that does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Man, I want us thinking about this as we dig into this psalm. You remember where we are. We're, on the song, we're in the Psalms of Ascents, the, the songs that pilgrims would sing as they are going from their house wherever it is in the Mediterranean region Up to Jerusalem. Maybe this is a journey that takes a couple of days or maybe a week. And they're walking with their families and they're walking with the other Jews that are from their village. And and as you can imagine, they're meeting people on the way and they're singing these songs. These are this is the hymn book of those people, and they're walking not towards judgment, you know, they're not going towards Jerusalem. For trial, they're going for a party, for the feast. They're going to be in the presence of God at the temple. They're journeying towards hope. They are journeying towards happiness. They are journeying towards joy. Last week, was it last week, we talked about they're journeying towards home. And as they go, some of the songs they sing are about the toughness required to follow God in the middle of suffering. A picture, a prayer, a promise, and a prayer. I mean, sometimes three points all starting with the letter P. Sometimes I just feel like an actual pastor. You know what I mean? That's that's how it's done right there. It's a short psalm that starts with a picture, with with a symbolic image. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. And the mountains... As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. So four things about this picture. First of all, Zion. That Zion is an actual you know, mount, an actual peak. And Zion is the picture in this little word picture that the psalmist has given us. Zion is the picture of eternal immobility. We might think of Half Dome if you've been going to Jerusalem or to Jerusalem to Yosemite your whole life you know you might think wow I remember being a little kid here and I remember being a teenager who thought it was so lame to be here and I and now you know I go back as an old person I've taken the grandkids maybe even and whatever and you go but that mountain has not changed it is forever styles have changed oh my gosh look at this is Yosemite 1982 look what you were wearing you know and all of that kind of stuff but that mountain does not move We might, around here, we might think of Monterey Bay. Those of you who have have been here for a few decades, you might go, oh my gosh, I remember when Embassy Suites wasn't there, and I remember when the skyline was there, all the stores were different. I remember when this was happening, and that, you know, I remember having conversations with John Steinbeck. No, maybe not. Um, (laughs) um, But you might go, man, the place has changed so much, culture has changed, and and leadership has changed and the you know the 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 silicon valley boom happened and it changed everything around here and all this but you go but just go and try to convince that bay that anything's different it is the picture of eternal immobility cultures changed styles have changed we've changed but it hasn't those who trust in the lord are like mount zion Let's make an important observation. The mountains aren't going anywhere. Mount Zion is not going anywhere, but that doesn't mean it's never under attack. The song is not about the comfort or ease of Zion, but rather about its toughness, about its endurance. In fact, if you think of that little little mount there in Jerusalem, it has experienced all kinds of attacks. You think of the mountains in general as a, as a symbol, as a metaphor. And you go, oh my gosh, there's fires, there's floods, there's droughts, and there's times when there's too many mongooses, and then there's time when there's too many snakes, and then there's time when there's whatever. All kinds of things are going on, all kinds of trials, all kinds of seasons. There's snow sometimes and scorching wind other times. But the mountain itself is tough think about how many droughts and the mountains have seen think about how many forest fires how many flash floods how many landslides how many wars and yet there they are still standing able to endure and not only able to endure but bounce back you know i don't know if you've been in a in a redwood forest that was decimated by the fires a few years ago but there's so much new growth it in 20 years you won't be able to tell Not only does the mountain endure, but it doesn't endure like looking shambled. It it bounces back. There's health after a difficult season. Forests regrow after fires. Land dries out after floods. The rain comes back after a drought. Sometimes the disaster might even change the shape of a mountain a little, but there it still stands. This picture of steadfastness. So it isn't that the mountain has it easy. It's just that they're so tough. They can endure so many different kinds of seasons. The second big idea from this picture is that it is the people of God who are immovable in this image. Read it again. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion. You know, I don't know uh, if it's just me, but I think of God as the immovable one. I never really think of myself as the immovable one. I think, oh man, I could get blown, blown by the, the you know, tides of change or the, the winds of difficulty in my life. But that's not the picture. The picture is not that God is this immovable uh, image of Mount Zion. Now certainly you could write another psalm about that, but that's not what this is about. This is about the ability that God's people have to be that kind of strong the ability that the people of God have to be able to endure trial after trial and yet not only remain, but bounce back. Not only survive, but to thrive, to continue, to have that toughness that does not get shattered by the storms, fires, diseases, pestilence of life. It's worth pointing out that this song is about the eternal immovability of God's people. Our relationship with God grows us into people who, like those mountains, sorrows come, but we are still standing. And I wonder if you know people like that. People that have been through just very difficult things, and yet as they stood fast with the Lord, you can't shake them. Their faith is solid. There's a peace that you don't know where that comes from. This is the image of a person like Mount Zion. Third observation is It is God Himself that surrounds and protects His people. So the strength is in us, but the strength is never because of us. It is always that God surrounds. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds His people forever, from this time forth and forevermore. Now, I've not been there, but I'm told that Mount Zion, where Jerusalem sits, the city of David, Jerusalem sits is a little smaller than many of the peaks around it. And this is an image that the psalmist grasps onto and says, that's how I feel surrounded by the presence of the Lord. That I can endure, but that it's not my head sticking up high and saying, I've got enough, I'm going to do it, I can got gumption and whatever, but rather that they are surrounded Not by the attributes of God. And I think that's a big thing. God's really put that on my heart this week. That it's not that we are surrounded by God's love. Although I think you could say that's true. It's not that we're surrounded by God's peace or God's faithfulness. No, we are surrounded by God himself. It is the presence of God that protects his people. It is not like a king from afar sending supplies. Rather, it is the king himself showing up to saying, I will be your defender. You stay there in the middle. I'll surround you. And it doesn't mean that fires and floods won't come. But it does mean at the end of this, you're going to be okay. And I think that that is one of the most profound ideas a Christian could have. That at the end of this, I'm going to be okay. Not God, why would you let this happen? Man, there's a billion ways to answer that question, but at the end of it, you're going to be okay. The third observation I just said is God himself that surrounds and protects his people. The fourth is that it is those who trust the Lord that are his people. And that's a little surprising Especially when you think about this was written by Jews, for Jews, because of Jews, of Jews, in Jews. This is a very Jewish song. They're talking about Jerusalem, the temple, the Holy of Holies, Ark of the Covenant, presence of God. All this This is a very Jewish way of thinking. And yet, what is it that makes people firm like Mount Zion? You know, you might think, you might, you might expect something like, it is the people of the covenant that are immovable and eternally secure. That's not it. It's not those who call themselves the people of God. There's a Christian version of that too, right? Well, I'm a Christian and I just, man, that doesn't, that's just not a thing. You're a Christian, which means you know your thinking is flawed. We're the only people who go, oh, yeah, no, I, I don't trust in myself. I've given up on that. I found the folly in that. It's not those who know the scriptures. And, you know, there might, you might be able to preach that, you know, like it's those who are founded on God's word that are immovable. And you go, well, but it's not those who win the Trivial Pursuit Bible edition It's not until you can apply this to your life. It's not Bible knowledge. It's living like this. It's not those who are in proximity of God's stuff. You know, I even think this in Jesus' life. As He comes into Jerusalem during Passion Week, at the beginning of Passion Week, and the people who are there who call themselves the priests, who have no heart for God, who are in Rome's pocket, who are, you know, as, as evil and corrupt as religious leaders could be, they spend their time questioning Jesus on whether or not he should be there. Because they have missed the idea, and they have latched on to a faulty idea that because they are in the temple a lot, they're the people of God. It's those who trust in the Lord who are like Mount Zion. It's not the Bible scholar even. It's not the dude who talks his way in front of a pulpit regularly. No, rather, it's those who trust, not in their own understanding, but trust in the Lord that are going to be okay, that will be immovable. I even think, you know, this challenges what what I think it means to be a strong Christian. I hear that word sometimes, and I go, gosh, what's that mean? Are you a strong Christian? I'm a strong Christian. I go, gosh, okay, what might that mean? Might it mean that I don't say bad words and dress in appropriate ways? Might it mean that, you know... I have a pretty good understanding of what sin is and what it's not. I mean, I could see those being aspects of, you know, strength and faith. But no, rather the psalmist says it's those who actively put their trust in God. Do you know what trust is? There's an old youth pastor object lesson, something, that I've, told kids a million times, and it's the story of the guy in the tightrope over Niagara Falls. Have you heard this story? So there's a guy with a tightrope over Niagara Falls, and he goes across it and comes back, and he's obviously drawn a crowd, and and then he gets, a, he gets a wheelbarrow, and he goes, how many of you think I can put the wheelbarrow, get up on the rope with the wheelbarrow and get across and come back? And they all go, yeah, you can do it. And maybe they just want to see him fall, or maybe they really believe, or who knows. But he gets up and he does it, and then he just puts you know, 200 pounds of stuff in there, just rock and bags of sand and whatever, and just fills the wheelbarrow and goes, how many of you think I can get across with all of this weight in the wheelbarrow? And they all cheer, and a bigger crowd is gathering. Yes, please, we believe in you. Go do it. And maybe they even think, I've seen him do it a couple of times. I think he's going to make it. And so he gets up there, and he does it. And then he goes, and they're just, I mean, they're enthralled. This is one of the greatest human Feats they've ever seen. And then he says, how many people think I can do it with a person in the wheelbarrow? And they all go, yes, you can. And he goes, I'll take volunteers. (laughs) And not one person wants to get in the wheelbarrow. And what it means to trust God is to get in the wheelbarrow. To actually put yourself where God is all you're counting on. I grew up, um, around Disneyland, and we used to go to Tom Sawyer's Island. And I, I, just this morning, I was thinking of this, of this image of being in Tom Sawyer's Island and seeing these rickety bridges, right? They're just built to look like they're about to fall apart. Not one time did I ever doubt that that thing was going to hold me. But if I saw that same bridge, like, a, you know, like across a, an actual ravine out in the world, I'd go, I don't trust this at all. I'm not getting on it. But when you're at Disneyland, you're like, I don't think they made their money letting eight-year-olds fall off this bridge, you know? <laughs> I think this is a problem. I'm, I'm not trusting in what I'm seeing here. I'm trusting that somebody around here has got an engineering degree, and I'm going to be just fine. It's not until you walk across the bridge that you've demonstrated faith. Sitting there in the crowd going, I think he can make it across Niagara Falls with a person in the bucket. That, that's, not, that's not faith. That's not trust. It's the widow putting her last two pennies in the, in the trumpet there in front of the temple. She so, said, well, these two pennies aren't doing me any good. I'm going to trust the Lord with everything. It's Peter sinking in the water and crying out, Jesus, you're my last hope. Will you save me? It's reaching out and grabbing Jesus' hand. It's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego looking at Nebuchadnezzar and going, look, I don't know if God's going to let us die or not, but either way, I'm with him. That's putting your trust in God. It's, it's Mary saying, I'm your servant. Whatever you want to do with my body, God, is yours. That is putting your trust In God it's common everyday Christians who are not leaning on what this world says to lean on but rather have put all of their you know chips in that one pile of if God doesn't save me I guess I just won't be saved it's common everyday Christians facing life difficulties life sorrows with kindness, with grace, with forgiveness, with Christ-like attitudes. That's what it means to put your trust in God. What's it mean to be a strong Christian? It's not the one who can win Bible trivia. Although, I don't know a way except get into your Scriptures to grow faith. But no, rather, it's those who trust in the Lord. And just if you just ignore me for the next 20 minutes or so and just spent time thinking, are there areas in my life where I'm just not trusting God? Are there areas where I need to forgive and I just haven't? And just because my pride just won't let me? Are there areas where in my time where I feel like, you know, there's a Superman logo under my day clothes, and and I'm the one who's gotta do everything and save everything? I need to trust the Lord. Are there places in your career? Are there places in your marriage? Are there places in your family? Are there places in your friend group? Are there places here at church where you go, man, I just have to stop relying on my own ingenuity and trust God because it is those who trust in the Lord that are like Mount Zion. So there's the picture. Then verse three gives us the promise. For the scepter of wickedness, I mean, if you're looking for, like, a Christian heavy metal band name, <laughs> I guess Scepter of Wickedness would not be a Christian band. I, I it changed my mind. Scepter of Wickedness is an awesome phrase, is all I'm saying. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. What an interesting, what an interesting sentence. Built into the idea of the steadfast protection of God and the endurance of his people, the ability to endure, the ability to be okay in the middle of the ups and downs of life, is this idea that the scepter of wickedness is a real thing. Scepter is a symbol of power. I think we would more naturally use the word crown, like that symbol of like monarchy, the symbol of power. Um, uh, so the scepter, wickedness is a, is a Hebrew word that means moral failure. It's, it's the, the, so this is evil power shall not rest upon the land. And it's true that God raises up leaders, but it's also true that those leaders are responsible to submit to God and they have to act in a morally upright way. And, and, and it's also true that many times that doesn't happen. And it doesn't matter if you're the, the kingdom you're ruling is a country or it's your own living room. The scepter of wickedness is something that we have to deal with. And very many times, you know, it's it's the thing the psalmist is worried about. Look at the the end of this, the last clause in this sentence says. Lest the righteous stretch out their hand and do wrong. See, if you think the bad guys are going to win, if you look at the world, whether it's like an evil leader in your job or it's you're not happy with the government or, or you're, you know, doesn't matter where there's, there's evil leadership above you, if you think that they are the power in the universe, then you will stretch out your hand and do wrong. Because there's no hope if you think that the powers that be in this world have the last say. It's like God has said, look, they can't endure forever. The the scepter of wickedness won't rest forever. Oh, it'll be there. And if you look at the, the history of Jerusalem after David, you go, yeah, the scepter of wickedness was there. It definitely. I think it was. Um, I think it was Spurgeon who said, "It alighted. It, it will alight on the people of God, but it will not rest." God's promise in this verse is that while the scepter of wickedness is a reality, it isn't forever. Do you see the toughness I'm talking about? Many times we have to look at the world and we have to go, "It's broke." It's not right. It doesn't work like it's supposed to. It is so obvious to me that that person needs to repent and that we as a culture need to change like this. It's, it, why doesn't anybody else see this? And if you forget that this is not forever, it is pretty easy to devolve into misery and eventually do something about it. At some point, we all really admire Batman. Right? The reason... How dare you? (laughs) You know, the Batman of my youth, and he was second fiddle to Superman because in the 70s and 80s, it was truth, justice, and the American way. You wanted a good-looking guy in red, white, and blue to show up and save the day. And Batman was like... a kind of a silly like cape crusader going out and doing the thing but the batman that we all love now that we've made several movies about that i have you could put them on mute and i could just start and just you know tell you every line it's because in a world this bad you have to be bad to do justice because that is an idea that happens when you don't understand that the scepter of wickedness won't rest forever You have to become the darkness to defeat the darkness. That's not true. God will defeat the darkness. It's those who trust in the Lord who are like Mount Zion. Spurgeon also said this, the saints of the Lord abide forever, but their trouble will not. Man, I don't know what trouble you're in right now. I know some of your stories. I know there's trouble. I know I have the news app. There's trouble. Hang in there. Endure. Have not a hard heart, but a tough one. Trust in the Lord. Do you remember that Jesus said, don't even worry about people that would kill you? Trust in the Lord. Don't give up. This is how you build character. Don't give in to sin. Don't give in to anger. Don't give in to revenge. Don't give in to hard-heartedness. Don't give in to cynicism, Grant. No, rather, trust in the Lord. The scepter of wickedness will alight. It's terrible, and it'll be here, but it does not endure. Your trouble, you will outlive your troubles, either here or in eternity. What a promise. You know, I think this is why, like, it's not particularly popular style of preaching in our culture, right? It's much, it'd be more exciting to be like, the Bible promises that if you have a week where you don't sin, then you'll win the lottery. Or everybody that's bugging you will shut up. But that's not what we're given. What we're given is, if you will trust God, you will be okay. You'll be like Mount Zion, surrounded by the presence of God. Able to endure. And then verses 4 and 5 are a prayer. Such a beautiful prayer. Gosh, the Psalms are gorgeous. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good. And to those who are upright in their hearts. But those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. Peace be upon Israel. In Hebrew, the phrase, do good, O Lord, to those who are good, is three words Tov, Yahweh, Tov. The first Tov means good. I talk about it a lot, you know this, is a verb. Then you have the noun Yahweh, then you have the adjective Tov. We need God to act. in a way that spreads His goodness in the world. You remember, Tov was the state of the world before sin. God made stuff on day one, it's Tov. Day two, it's Tov. So Tov doesn't mean lucky. Um, You know, like God made people lucky who, you know, I think sometimes you could read that like that. Do good, Lord, to those who are good. Hey, God, I'm a good person. Could I have some luck? Could I have the, you know could I have some some like wins in my life? No, I don't even know if that's a bad prayer. He's your father. He wants to hear from you. Go ahead and pray all you want. But that's not what this means. The big idea you remember about the toveness, the goodness of Eden, was not that it was perfect, but rather that God and man were in perfect relationship, that there was good relationship between God and man, that there was good relationship between man and each other, that there was good relationship between man and the creation. That's Tov. That works. That's this this whole uh, working system. It's Tov. It's good. But it was always God that made it good. It was not Adam. I, I do not believe that Adam was um, I think perfect in the way that we think of perfect is not the best way to describe Adam. It wasn't that creation was, you know, I'm sure it was wonderful, but it, it, it was the scriptures do not tell us just creation was so great. That's what made it Tov. No, it was always good because God was there. And the first thing that sin did was separate us from each other, separate us from God, not Tov. So the prayer for goodness in Psalm 125, as we say, Tov, Yahweh, Tov. Like if you're in a really tough spot, can you say those three words? You just drop to your knees and just be like, good, God, good. Hey, good God, I need some good. It's a prayer for the presence of God. It's not a prayer that everything in life would line up in a way that you like. That's, that's not tov. That's something else. No, rather, it's a prayer for intimacy with God. That the goodness, the toveness would come from being surrounded by the presence of God himself, just like those mountains around Jerusalem. You know... Shoot, I'm going to owe him money. Zach was gone for about three weeks, my 20-year-old son. I tell stories about the kids I owe money. He was gone for like three weeks, and, you know, FaceTime's great, and we got to see him while he was gone, and he was doing some studying stuff and, you know, was successful, and we couldn't be prouder, and it's all great. But, um, you know, him coming home felt so good. Because it's presence. Because it's not details. Like I still knew all about him. It was three weeks. He didn't change that much. He still needs a haircut. You know, it's fine. (laughs) He doesn't need a haircut. It looks really good. (laughs) I used to be able to do that, but now. (laughs) But it wasn't that we didn't know the stats. It's just we longed for presence. Want to be with him. Tov, Yahweh, Tov is a prayer for presence. It's not that you need God to work everything out. Let's imagine you, that prayer was answered. And today God said, all right, give me the list. Give me the list of everything. I will order the world exactly like you think. Grant Combs will be king for a day. Who should be the leaders? And how should the whole thing work? And what should the schedule look like at the Combs house? And get, tell me everything you've ever wanted. The angels win the World Series every year. Tell me the whole thing. That's what God would say. He has. He has, uh, you know, his grace is sufficient, is how that prayer gets answered. But imagine if today it was like the world according to you, and snap your fingers, and that got, and it was according to you, it was a good world, exactly like you think. How long would that last? I guarantee you'd snap your fingers, it would all change, and you'd be like, I forgot something. Or it wouldn't be what you expected. Or you would be struck with the absolute beautiful and terrible reality that your life was created for the presence of God and not a set of circumstances. Tov, good, is a prayer for the presence of God, not a set of circumstances. What a prayer. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good. Good. God, as we trust You, as we trust Your toveness, as we point our hearts to You, as we act in accordance with what we believe, we put our trust in You, please make us okay. Help us line up with You. Help us line up with each other. Help us to be content in in our relationship with You. But those who turn aside in their crooked ways, the psalm goes on. You know, every crooked way, I think all crooked ways, we could make a list of things that we think are crooked, but really at the end of the day, it all starts with trusting yourself and not God, with just following your heart. Simple self-centeredness is the opposite of a toe of world. So let me just close as we go tailgate together and share good stories and by just simply asking you if you're trusting in God. And again, I'm not asking if you think Jesus is God. I'm not asking if you adhere to the tenets of a faith or if you think sin is bad. But practically, is there someone that you need to forgive? It's gonna take trusting God to do that. Would you trust God and forgive him? Are you trusting God with your time? Are you making time to worship? Is Sabbath a reality in your life? Are you taking time and giving your attention to the least of these? Are you pouring into people that will give you nothing in return? Are you trusting God with your time? Are you trusting God with your future? Are you building a life that will endure you in the uh, in, that you will be able to endure in the years to come not because you've set up the right financial and relational situation but because you have grown and are growing so close to the Lord that whatever that looks like you'll be okay are you trusting God with your money You know, there's been so much abuse in the church with sex and money that we feel like we just can't talk about it. But look, these things are so close to our heart, so close to our identity. Like those things that are most yours. That's right, it is yours. Nobody should tell you what to do with it. But you should align your life in accordance with what you believe. Are you trusting God with the most Intimate parts of you, including your checkbook. Man, I think about our life and and I would tell you giving, and you know, it is always a little uncomfortable for the pastor to be talking about giving. So if you ha- aren't currently in a in a habit of giving, give somewhere else. And, you know, say my pastor told me to, so give to another church or ministry you believe in or whatever. Because we're tove around here. You know what I mean? We can't we can't preach this stuff and then not not live by. We trust the Lord around here and God supplies from His people but look, it's, that's, it doesn't, that, that's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about, if you're going to be okay, your, your money can't be God. If you're going to trust in the Lord, you can't trust in your ability to read the stock market. It'll let you down. Your family can't be God. They're wonderful, I know. They make terrible deities. Your career is just not worth your faith. It's not God. Those who trust in the Lord will endure, are a strong mountain, are like Mount Zion. Is the presence of Jesus enough for you to be okay? Is maturing in Christ enough to hang in there? Man, my challenge would if if you have some time with the Lord in the mornings or at lunchtime or whenever in your schedule you've set time aside daily to spend time with Him, I wonder if this might be a special point of meditation and concern for you this week. That you would say, God, where are the areas of my life that I'm trusting in myself? Where are the areas of my life that I've put my trust in things that are less than you? Really, the question there is where am I an idolater? And how can I order my life in a way that is good? Let me pray. Then I'll sing a song. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us each other, and thank you for, for, you know, the chance to encourage each other towards a good life. Lord, it takes courage. It's scary to trust you. It's Hard to order our lives in a way where we're demonstrating that, that we trust you and not ourselves. And I'll tell you what, God, like the world is scary. There are things that really seem like, man, if I don't solve this, I'm going to die. We'll be destitute. My career won't go the way I want it to. The family will suffer. Lord, would you teach us to trust in you? To be your people who are not trusting in all this other stuff, but rather practically, daily, putting our trust in you and you alone. I love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.